This section that Paul's writing here is probably the most personal section of the book of Galatians. It's probably the, 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 the part where we see his pastor's heart more than anything. And it's good to see this. It's good to see this for me because it reminds me of the heart that I need to continue to beg God to develop in me. But it's also good for us as a congregation because I think it reminds us that these things, these really sort of deep and heavy truths that we've been unpacking in the book of Galatians, they're not just sort of intellectual fodder. It's not just like dry theology. This is about, uh, this is flowing from the very heart of God through the, the heart of a pastor to a congregation or congregations who really need to understand what God's given them in Christ. They really need to understand the gospel. And so there, there's a lot of, of, of a personal feeling in this, in, in this section, a lot of heartfelt desire here that you really get to see that this was Paul who had a real relationship with these people in Galatia. And, and I think, guys, sometimes we make the mistake of, of wanting to sort of separate uh, our heart from our mind. And it's interesting because if you read the Old Testament, oftentimes the heart and mind, those two words, are used interchangeably. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so there's this reality that sometimes we can over-separate sort of what we feel passionately and what we think intellectually. And yet, that's not what the Scripture does. In fact, that's not what God wants to do in us. He wants to bring us more in line so that we, our passion with God isn't separate from our understanding of who God is. Ideas have consequences. And so God wants us to have right ideas about who He is and what He's doing. But those right ideas aren't just so that we can say, oh, look at me, I have the right ideas. I got my theology all sorted. Those right ideas are about us rightly relating to our God and rightly relating to each other. And so we see in this, when Paul talks about these things, when Paul talks about the difference between the gospel and religion, that he, he's doing so from a heart of passion and a heart of compassion. A passion for God and a compassion towards those that he shared the gospel with. And, and that's a great model for us. We need to have both those things going on. God wants us to, to love Him with our minds, but love Him with our hearts. And what we're going to see in this is Paul basically is reminding these Galatian believers of three main things. The first thing we're going to see is he's going to remind them of the emptiness of their past religion. He says in verse 8, But then he, he indeed, when he did not know God... You served those which were by nature, which by nature, excuse me, are not gods. Now, he's reminding these guys who are Gentiles. Remember, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles. And because they were Gentiles, they worshipped all kinds of pagan gods. They would worship, probably they were influenced by the idea of, uh, of the worship of Greek gods. They were probably also uh, those who worship the sort of localized gods, the god of the forest or, you know, the god of wind or whatever. And they would worship these different gods uh, that were, were around them. And, and it, what's interesting about this is that Paul's bringing up their former idolatry, their former sort of pagan worship, and yet the issue is they haven't gone back to paganism. They've gone back, or they've, they've decided to follow these Judaizers who are saying you need to keep the Ten Commandments and you need to fulfill the law of Moses and you need to be circumcised before you can be a proper Christian. And what's interesting about that, and we sort of alluded to this last week, is that Paul is equating pagan religion with what these Judaizers are, are bringing forth. That's interesting. It's interesting because we, we saw, was it last week or two weeks ago, we saw the reality that, that the law of God is good. It's God's law. 
When God gave us the law, it was him who gave it to us. It was God. In fact, the law is so important, it's the only thing that we see in Scripture where God actually wrote it, the Ten Commandments with his very finger, wrote it on the stone tablets. Very important. And yet Paul says, when we try to relate to God, when you go and you think, okay, I've got to follow what the Judaizers say, and I've got to keep these commandments, when, he, when, we, when we go into that sort of religiosity, he puts it on par with paganism. He puts it on the same, you know, same level of, of making a statue out of gold and bowing down to it, of going out to the forest and drawing a circle on the ground and you know, running around a fire or something. Now we laugh because we look at it and we think, oh, stupid, I'd never do something like that. I'm not going to bow down to a statue. Come on, I'm not going to worship a tree. Give me a break. And yet Paul says when we go back or we try to add to the cross, add to the gospel, the keeping of the law, or religious duty. It's almost like we're going back to paganism. And so he, he, here he is, he's reminding them of the emptiness of their past religion. And, and the first thing he brings up is this reality that they actually had no authentic relationship with God when they were pagans. When they were fulfilling their religious duties, when they were living by the religions that they had been taught, they didn't have an authentic relationship with God. He says really clearly, he says, when you, he says but indeed, when you did not know God... Interesting, the word for know there, there's a couple different words for the word know, K-N-O-W, in the original language. This one is the word that means to understand. And he's saying, when you did not understand God, when your ideas about God were wrong, this is what you did. Then he says in the beginning of verse 9, he says, but now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, then he says this is what's going on. Now, the second time in verse 9 when he says you have known God or are known by God, the word for known there is a different word. It's a word that means to know by experience. It's a relational word. It's, like, it's, it's, it's what's used when it says, like, and Joseph did not know his wife Mary until after she had given birth to Jesus. It's, a, it's an intimate knowledge. And so what Paul's basically saying is he's saying, listen, when you were a pagan, before you knew Jesus, you didn't understand who God was and you had no intimate relationship with him. You didn't have any relationship with God. Oh, you might have had some powerful religious experiences, you might have been sincere in what you believed, but you didn't have an authentic relationship with God. You could not have an authentic relationship with God. It didn't exist. Now, it's interesting because when Paul says in verse 9, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, we have to stop and think, why did he say that? Why did he say, or, or known by God? Doesn't God know everybody? He doesn't. See, guys, though God knows all things, God doesn't have an intimate relationship with all people. I don't know if you realize that or not. And sometimes I think we have this mindset of God's has an intimate, God has, in, for his part, is having a relationship with people, and in our part, we're just sort of ignoring that relationship. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God desires that none should perish, that God reaches out to people, but then all have that relationship. It's interesting, too, that he says, after you have been known by God, and it's as if Paul's wanting to remind these guys, listen, you had no authentic relationship. You did not pursue God. It was God who pursued you. In your paganism, you weren't pursuing the true and, 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 and right creator. In your paganism, you were just trying to appease your conscience, have some sort of mystical experience. But you weren't having an authentic relationship with God. You weren't pursuing God. 
In fact, when Paul says, or rather known by God, he's alluding to the fact it's God who pursued you. Now, I want you guys to know something really seriously, really, really, really important today. If you don't have an authentic relationship with God this morning, I have good news for you. The good news is, is God is seeking after you. God is pursuing you. Jesus said this in John chapter 4. He said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Notice, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Guys, it's God who's pursuing you. In 2 Chronicles, I think it is, maybe chapter 9, something around there, talks about, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose hearts are perfect towards Him, looking for someone on, whose, on behalf of whom He can show Himself strong. God is looking for those for, to whom He can have a real intimate relationship with. God is pursuing people. Sometimes we think, oh, that guy's really religious or that guy's really trying to do these good things. They're really seeking. No, they're not. But I'll tell you what, God is seeking them. And, and I want you to know that, guys. I want you to know that because not because I'm trying to make you feel bad or trying to question your sincerity for being here or not being here. I just want you to know how much God desires you. And how empty it is and how much of a waste of time it is for you to think, oh, it's all right, God, don't chase me. I'll figure you out. Just let me do my thing. Let me make my rules, make my regulations. Let me, let me dance around the fire or, 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 or memorize these scriptures or study these religious books. I'll, I'll figure you out, God. Don't bother me. Now, God's saying, listen, it doesn't work that way. You can have no authentic relationship through me. Paul's saying to the Galatians, listen, don't you know? You didn't know God then. But not only that, he says in verse 8, he says, when you did not know God, he said, you serve those which by nature are not God's. The word for serve there means to be a slave to, but it's, it's, it can be used in the idea of worship, of just sort of giving your all to something. He says, you gave your all to those who were by nature weren't God's. In fact, he says in the latter part of verse 9, he says, that you've, you've known God in the past, or you've had this relationship in the past, you've, you've known God through Christ. How is it, he says in verse 9, that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. He says you observed days and months and seasons and years. In other words, he says, guys, listen, not only do you not have any authentic relationship through that paganism or through this false religion, but the other issue is you end up worshiping something that's not worthy of worship. Martin Luther said that our hearts are idol-making factories. <laughs> have you found that to be true? I have. It's amazing the things that I will worship. It's amazing. I won't call it worship. I'll call it just prioritize. I'm, I'm prioritizing. Am I really prioritizing or am I worshiping? There's oftentimes, guys, when our hearts will, will long to exalt something other than God, even if we know intellectually that God alone is worthy to be exalted. We worship things that aren't worthy to be worshiped. And this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, this is what you did. How is it, he's saying to them at the end of verse 9, how is it that you would desire again to go back into that bondage? Why would you want to go back to this, as he describes in verse 10, this formalism of observing days and months and years? Why would you want to go back to some sort of religiosity that, that doesn't allow you, that doesn't keep, uh, help you to know the true and living God, have a relationship with the true and living God, be freed by the true and living God? Why would you want to go back to that, he says? In fact, he's so worried about this, he says, you know, 
I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He says, I'm worried, man. Did you, did you really come to know Jesus? Now, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 1. He said, this is, this is talking about mankind in general, okay? He says, professing to be wise, mankind became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Mankind exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's amazing, guys, how much worship can digress. You need to know something. You were made to worship. You do it. The issue is not whether or not you worship. The issue is who do you worship? What happens to us naturally, guys, because we have this fallen nature, is we have a tendency, like the rest of mankind, to worship a God that is less than our creator. To worship a God of our own imagination. To worship a God of, that we can form with our hands. You know why we do that? We do that because we want to be in control. If you can form a God, you can control a God. It's funny when you read like the Old Testament and you see all these, especially like in the book of Judges, like when there was an incident where there was a guy named Micah and he, and he, um, he was like this sort of household priest and uh, someone offered him more money to be their household priest so he bailed and, and he went with the other guy to offer more money and as he left the first house, he took the household idols with him. Hey, these are kind of cool. I'll take these with me. And he takes off, right? And so his first sort of owner chases him down and goes, what are you doing? You stole my gods. Can you imagine worshiping a god that can be stolen from you? How little is that god? How unworthy is that God? But we do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing. We bow at the altar of Darwinianism. Oh, it's just all happened by accident. Has it now? Is there any science behind that whatsoever? Nope. But we bow to it. We bow to the idol of self all the time. I need to get what I need to get. Why? Does it ever bring any pleasure or satisfaction? No, you end up just empty and miserable. It's funny, this, this morning when I, uh, after I had my time with the Lord, I was checking my emails and stuff, and I looked on Facebook, as I, as I usually do, and, and there was a, uh, one of my friends from high school. He was our valedictorian, which means he was the very top of the class. Genius. Went to, went to Berkeley. Really bright man. Um, he was talking about, in his little Facebook thing, he said, how is it that, you know, the, the mundane things of life just seem to make, just seem to be a waste? Why, why do I have to do all these things? He said, Does it, doesn't it make life seem pointless? And he got like 15 comments on this. And all these comments were like, yeah, life just seems to be so pointless. And why well, look for purpose in this? And I found if I just do this, and all these things. And I thought, oh, I have to say something. <laughs> and so I just said, you know, I just said, I would encourage all you guys to read or reread Ecclesiastes and see that, that a man who had the resources to get anything he wanted and to do anything he wanted said, all life is vain and grasping at the wind. And I said, and I really encourage you guys to check out what his conclusion was in chapter 12. And I just thought, I'm just hoping, I can't wait. Either they're going to hate me and sit, block me from their friends, you know, or they're going to hopefully get some good dialogue going on. 
But it's amazing, guys. This is what happens. Why did they all feel this way? What are these very intelligent, very, very nice people? Most of the people that were, were, were on that list I knew personally. They were nice people, nice families, worked hard, cared for their neighbors. Nice people. Why are their lives so empty? Because they are worshiping somebody other than their creator God through Jesus. And it's not just, guys, who we worship. It's also how we worship. Because these guys were thinking, we're still worshiping Jesus. We're just doing it through the law. And Paul goes, no, you're not. You're just going back to paganism. Those weak and beggarly elements. Those principles of, I'm going to relate to God by what I do. What a waste of time, he says. Now, here's the thing, guys. The difference between the gospel and religion is is this. This is the first difference that we're going to point out today. And that is that the gospel reveals who God is. Do you realize you don't know the compassion of God unless you understand and believe the gospel? Because God has so much compassion for man. You know what he did? He became one. He came, became a man. He walked this earth. He felt all the pain and agony and rejection that we've ever felt. He was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, yet without sin, the Bible says. How do you know that God's a God of compassion? You only know that because God became a man in the form of Jesus. You know, you don't, you don't understand that God's a God of mercy apart from the gospel. You don't understand that God's a God of justice apart from the gospel. You can't understand that God is a God of love apart from the gospel. You see that all most clearly revealed through Jesus Christ and Him crucified. How can you know the God who made you if you you won't believe the gospel? Religion won't reveal it to you. In fact, it's the gospel that reveals God and you know what religion does? Religion actually conceals God. Because you know what happens? When we think, okay, I got God figured out, and I, since I got him figured out, I'll just stick to doing this. I'll do this thing, and this thing, and this thing, and this thing. We think we got God in our box, and we got him taken care of. You know what we've done? We've blinded ourselves. It's like we've closed our eyes. Ever tried to share Jesus with somebody, and as you're kind of answering their questions and dealing with their objections, and then they, they go, well, I don't know, but no matter what, I won't believe. They just get to this place where you just say, No. I won't believe that God's this way. I won't believe, I won't believe, I won't believe. I had someone tell me once, a young person that I was ministering to, she said, my God would never send anybody to hell. And I said, you're right, your God wouldn't. And your God doesn't exist and is unable to save anybody. Because the God of the Bible is not so much sending people to hell but allowing them to go where they desire. But the God of the Bible has so much compassion on those who desire to go to hell that he became a man and died for them as he did die for you. And you can know that you don't have to ever be there. You don't have to ever fear that because of what he's done. You see, guys, the gospel reveals who God is and religion, it only blinds us to it. That's, that's why it's empty. That's why it's vain. That's why it's a waste. It doesn't matter what kind of religion it is. You can pick any form you want. The bottom line is it conceals who God is. Now, now he continues in verse 12 after he talks about the emptiness of their past religion. He reminds them of the love they've had in their relationship. He reminds them of the love relationship they had together when they first met. He says in verse 12, he says, Brethren, I urge you to become like me, that is, 
be free from these Judaizers, these false teachings, for I became like you. In other words, Paul says, listen, when I came to you, I didn't come as a Jew, though Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he says about himself. He says, I didn't come as a Jew. He says, I came and I, I ministered to you on your level. I had a bacon sandwich with you, you know. I, we, we, we had a chat. You know, we talked about the idols that you worshipped, you know. I met you where you're at. Was I under the dominion of the law when you met me? No. I became like you. Not so that you could become a Jew, so that you could be free from the gospel. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, you have not injured me at all. Now, this might not seem, this might seem odd to you, but I know exactly why Paul said this. If any of you ever get called to pastoral ministry or leadership of any kind, or if you've done any kind of leadership of any kind, you know exactly why Paul said this. He said this because when you are trying to help somebody, you know the first thing that pops into their head? You're just mad at me. You're just trying to get back at me. And that happens all the time. It's amazing how often when I, I'll, I'll call somebody up or go to see somebody and say, man, how you doing? What's going on? And stuff comes out of their life and I'll just say, you know, the Lord really... I, said I, was, I might say I was worried about that. You know, God really wants to help you get rid of that. You're just saying that. What do you want that for? What, so I'll come and give you money at church? Is that what your motivation is? You're just mad at me because I told you I didn't like that sermon the other week. And then, I mean, it's amazing the kind of rubbish that comes out. You're like, whoa, whoa, you haven't injured me, man. You're not hurting my feelings. I'm just trying to, t- I'm just trying to help you. And it's like Paul's saying, listen, I'm not saying this stuff to you because I wish you were following me. I'm saying this stuff to you because I'm concerned for you. I love you guys, he's saying to them. Remember, we had this great relationship. And then what does he say? He gives us some details about what happened when he first preached them. He says, you know, because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And he says, in my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what his sickness was. We know it it seems to be indicated that it affected his eyes. We'll see this later on in in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, there are different speculations of what that might be. Could have, got, could have got malaria and that was causing some sort of infection in his eyes. He could have had some other sort of disease. But whatever he had, it was pretty repulsive because people were like, you know. And yet Paul says, it was that reason that I preached the gospel to you. Now, there's two things in this. It could be that Paul was on his way somewhere else. He gets sick, right? So he can't go on any further. So he's like, well, since I'm here, I might as well share Jesus with people. But you know, there's other thing is this, is that Paul, even though he was so sick he couldn't travel on, you know what he did instead? He shared Jesus with people. Guys, this is gospel love. Gospel love is, is the kind of love that says, even though I'm suffering, I'm going to forget about me and share Jesus with people anyway. I want to show Jesus to people anyway. That's gospel love. Paul's reminding him, he's saying, guys, don't you remember? When I came to you, even though I was sick, I came to you and I just wanted to share Jesus with you anyway. I was miserable, my eyes were probably seeping out pus and something else disgusting. But the bottom line is, I still wanted to share Jesus with you. And when he says to them in verse 14 about the fact that they received him as an angel of God, he's talking about this reality that they received the message. There was something about what Paul had said that so resonated in them. They thought, man, this is from God. Now, Paul had a similar experience to this in 1 Thessalonians. Check this out. Paul said this to the Thessalonians. Different from the Galatians, but a similar experience. He said, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when we received, I'm sorry, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. When Paul 
preached to the Thessalonians, when Paul preached to the Galatians, what was powerful about Paul's preaching was not his preaching. History tells us that he was sort of boring. We've even sort of seen hinted like in 2 Corinthians how they said, man, his speech is contemptible. The guy stutters, he slurs, he's going to have a nasally voice. He's horrible to listen to, but the content is so weighty. They couldn't deny the content of what he was saying. It, that truth resonated in their hearts. They couldn't say, man, they had to say, that's from God. That is from God. Sometimes, guys, I have people saying, that, you know, they'll come to, to church, ours or somebody else's, and they'll go, you know, I don't know, I, that preacher was talking right at me. He was just sort of picking on me the whole time, and I'm not sure if I want to go back there. And then every time I hear that, I always laugh, because I think, you know, that's not the preacher picking on you. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I, I, I can't tell you how many times people come to me and say, you were staring right at me when you said this thing. I'm like, to be honest with you, I don't stare at any of you. I look at your foreheads. It's a technique in public speaking so you don't get distracted. <laughs> That's distracting stuff. <laughs> and so it, but the thing is, is that people are like, you looked right at me. No, the Holy Spirit's just convicting you of something true. He's just saying, this is true, listen up. This is from God, listen up. And, and, the, and, and Paul's reminding the Galatians, he's saying, this is the experience that you had. When I shared the gospel, even though I had these nasty looking eyes and I was sick and wasn't feeling the greatest, I loved you enough to say, let me tell you about this Jesus and how he frees you from this paganism that you said, man, right on. That, that resonates with us. There's something true about that. Paul's saying, this is the experience you had. And, and, and check this out, guys. Look at how they responded to this in verse 15. It says, and what then was the blessing you enjoyed? He says, for I bear you witness, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. In other words, it didn't just resonate in your heart that it was true, but you were so impacted by it that you wanted to show me gospel love. Oh man, poor Paul, he's suffering. He's our brother in, in Christ. We know Jesus, he knows Jesus, he shared Jesus with us. If we could only, somehow could take out my eye and stick it in yours, I'd, I'd do it, you know? That's gospel love. Now, guys, remember what he's doing. He's reminding them. He's saying, listen, don't you understand? This is what happened. You saw me demonstrate this. And when the gospel impacted you, you wanted to demonstrate this. And then he contrasts it. Listen to the false teachers. Check it out. In verse 16, he says, And I have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, speaking of the Judaizers, verse 17, zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want, you, want to exclude you, that is, take you away from other believers, take you away from, from Christ himself, that, that you may be what? Zealous for them. Now, Paul is not saying zeal's bad. Because he obviously says in verse 18, it's good to be zealous and a good thing always. Not just with me, but just to be good to be zealous about God. He's not saying zeal's bad. Zeal's good. Pray that God would give us more zeal, more passion, that we'd burn more for him. What he's saying is, you've got to be zealous for the right thing. See, these guys, these Judaizers, their interest was not wanting to get people to follow Jesus. It was wanting to get people to follow them. Guys, that has been the plague of Jesus' church from day one. People coming in, showing themselves to, or trying to present themselves as some sort of called men, only to draw disciples after themselves. Paul warned about this to the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20. He said, also among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things, like you need Jesus and to keep the law, to draw away disciples 
after themselves. Beware of the person that says, come follow me, unless it's Jesus. Now Paul did say, imitate me. But he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, when you, what you see in me as that of Jesus, follow that. Not follow me. Follow that example. Guys, it's important for us to recognize that this is a, always uh, an attribute of religion. It's always about following men. It's always about following men. Now, he goes on to say, in verse 19, he says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would, like to cha- I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have my doubts about you. Now, Paul here is not trying to make them feel guilty or manipulate them. He's just rightly exercising his authority. The authority that he's exercising is not one of, you should be following me and not them. It's, you should be following the gospel and not them. Notice that Paul says he's laboring for them again, not until Christ comes into them, but until Christ is formed in them. And, and this is, again, this is a good sort of attribute, the, the way you can tell, is this a religious thing I'm involved in, or is this a God thing I'm involved in? A religious thing is just happy that you will tick a box and enter in and commit to a group or a function. But a God thing, what God's interested in, is not just you being a part of a church, but you being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what God's wanting to do. God's wanting to make you like Jesus. You know why? Because you're going to be married to him forever. You're going to spend eternity with him. And so he's making you compatible. You're not making that happen. You're not earning that. You're not producing that. God's doing that by his spirit. And so what Paul's doing is a good pastor. He's saying, listen, these guys want you to follow them. I just want you to follow Jesus because that's what the spirit wants to do. The spirit of God wants to make you like Jesus. Check this out, guys. Awesome verse. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all, talking about believers, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's a great verse. We could talk all day about just this verse. Do you know what this is saying? This is saying this. Because our eyes have been opened, because the gospel reveals who God is, we look at Jesus, we know who God is, and as we dwell on Him and draw near to Him and worship Him, you know what He does by His Spirit? He makes us like Him. It's a fact of life, man. You will become what you worship. Fact of life. You will become what you worship. When we worship Jesus and we say, oh Lord, I just want to see you for who you are. I just want to know you for who you are. I just want to draw near for who you are because I can, because I've been freed in the gospel to do so. When we do that, you know what he does? He begins to change us and make us more like him. That's what the work of the Spirit is. You see, guys, here's the deal. This is the second thing I want to contrast between religion and, and, and the gospel. The gospel... We see this in Paul's life, and Paul even said we see this, and he saw this in the Galatians' life. The gospel inspires self-sacrifice. 
When you dwell on Jesus, who is the gospel, when your focus is on him, when you're worshiping him and following him, you think, wow, he set me free. I'm already accepted by God. I'm already righteous before God. I'm already destined for eternity with God because of what he's done to the gospel. And we see that and we understand that and we worship him because of that. You know what that inspires us to do? Laying down our lives for other people. It's the most natural thing. When we know what God's done for us, we know the completeness of it, the sufficiency of it. The natural response is, yes, Lord, I want to love people like that. That's what I want to be made into. I want to be like that. But when we try to relate to people, or relate to God, excuse me, through religion, see, The gospel inspires self-sacrifice, but religion only inspires self-exaltation. Religion only inspires you to exalt yourself. Think about how the rabbis used to pray, guys. The religious rabbis used to pray, God, I thank you that I am not a woman or a slave or a Gentile. Think about how the Pharisee prayed in Luke 18, I think it is, where the Pharisee prays, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other men I, t- I fast twice a week and I tithe all that I have and what is he doing he's exalting himself this is what religion does God we, we, we can be that way even as Christians we can be that way God thank you that we're not like that church we actually study the Bible unlike them God thank you that, that we actually are committed in our small groups they just have donuts and mess about we're serious Pharisee cap straighten it up you know We do this. We can get religious and exalt ourselves. Well, we're raising our kids in the Lord unlike some people. And we can exalt ourselves. You know what that brings? Death. It brings nothing. It does not communicate the gospel. It does not free us. It brings bondage. And you you guys know what I mean because you've all done it. So have I. You know exactly what I mean. And Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, this is what the gospel does. It inspires a self-sacrifice, but religion, it only inspires self-exaltation. Guys, let me ask you something. In your walk with God, are you finding yourself wanting to look to others and meet their needs more or wanting to see how you can put yourself a higher notch up? Because if you're trying to relate to God by religious works, by deeds, you know what's probably happening? You're looking for a way to make yourself look better. But if you're gazing on the glory of Jesus, you know how you know that's happening? You know how you know you're seeing Jesus correctly? Because you're thinking, how can I give this away? How can I bless people? How can I love people? Because that's what the Spirit's going to do. He's going to transform you. Paul's saying, listen, don't you know we've had this love relationship and don't you know that was a fruit of the gospel? And can't you see this new relationship with these Judaizers? All it's doing is causing you to get puffed up in yourself. It's worthless. Now, Lastly, this last section, Paul deals with the reality of what the Old Testament teaches. He reminds them, okay, you guys are saying you're following the Old Testament because, okay, we're Gentiles, we've got to get right with God, so we better follow the Old Testament law so that we can become Jews, so that we can become Christians. And he's saying, do you even understand what the Old Testament teaches? Do you understand the reality of the Old Testament teaching? So he's going to remind him of this. Now, this is considered one of the toughest parts of Galatians because Well, as you'll see, it seems a bit confusing even the way it's worded. It's really not that tough to understand, so you're just going to have to concentrate a little bit, but it seems tough because he's dealing with Old Testament stories that we're not always familiar with, and he's using them allegorically. 
So look what he says first in verse 21. Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law. In other words, anybody, any one of you among you wants to be religious. He says, do you not hear the law? He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, why does he say that? Well, he says it, one, because of historical fact. And he says it for another reason he says it. It's because the Jews prided themselves on being the sons of Abraham, didn't they? Remember the Pharisees to Jesus? Well, we're Abraham's. We have Abraham as our father. don't know who your dad is. And Jesus very politely, very firmly said, actually, you know, by your works, it's pretty clear that the devil is your father. That's what Jesus said to them. He says, don't get all puffed up. You know, John the Baptist too. John the Baptist said, you know, don't be claiming Abraham. You have Abraham as your father. God can take these stones and make children for Abraham. Just because you come from the lineage of Abraham doesn't mean anything. So because Paul knows that's the, the attitude of the Judaizers, he's saying, listen, don't be claiming, oh, we're sons of Abraham. Because guess what? Abraham had two sons. He says in verse 22, the one by a bondwoman, that's Hagar, who we'll see mentioned in a second, the other by a free woman, that's Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah. He says, but he who was of the bondwoman, which was Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. And what he means by that is two things. One is that, you guys probably know the story, uh, God had promised Abram and Sarah they were going to have a child, and through that child was going to be this great nation, and through that nation God was going to bless the whole world. Now we saw earlier in Galatians, right, that seed, that promised seed is actually Jesus, and it's through Jesus that God's blessing the whole world. But listen, follow along. What happened was, it took a long time for that promise to take place. And so Abraham and Sarah did what all of us do. We get impatient with God fulfilling his word, so they try to fulfill it themselves. They try to do it on their own strength. So Sarah says, okay, this isn't working. So instead, why don't you sleep with my handmaid, sleep with my female slave, and she'll give birth uh, to to a child that I'll raise as my own. Now, that was a very common practice, okay? And so they did that. And so what happened? Abraham, you know, being the man that he is, the male that he is, said, okay, I'll sleep with another woman. That's cool. If I have to do it for God, I'll do it. You know, so he does it. And she gets pregnant. And what happens? He gives birth to Ishmael. Gives birth to Ishmael. So it's, it's, it's a child according to the flesh because, in a sense, it was them taking matters into their own hands, them trying to do it on their own strength, the flesh represented, representing human strength. But also, listen, it was something natural. Abraham obviously was able to to uh, still get a woman pregnant. This woman, Hagar, was able to get pregnant. It was very natural. But listen, he who was of the, of the free woman, that's verse 23, speaking of Isaac, he who was of the free woman, Isaac being born from Sarah, came through promise. Now remember, Sarah couldn't get pregnant. When God said, listen, I don't accept Ishmael. That's not what I wanted for this. It's not how I was going to fulfill my promise. It's not going to work. God says, okay, Lord, let Ishmael live before you because this is nuts. I'm 100 years old. My wife's 90 years old. There ain't no kid coming from us. Okay, it's not going to happen, Lord. This is crazy. And the Lord says, no. I told you I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And what happens? Abraham, Sarah come together and she supernaturally gets pregnant and has Isaac. So when he says this according to the, to the, the promise, he's talking about, okay, He's contrasting. You had Ishmael, who was born naturally, but you have Isaac, who was born supernaturally. That's just important, guys. It's the most natural thing in the world for people to be religious. It might sound foreign because we live in a secular society, but you have to understand, 
There's a, in, in the total population of the world, secularism is a very minor part of the population. And even secularists, humanists, people who say they're even atheists, aren't really atheists. As Ray Comfort has once said, God doesn't believe in atheists. <laughs> there really isn't any such thing as an atheist. They're probably a humanist or a, you know, they, they, have, they have some sort of value system that is their absolute. They say that they don't, but they do. Everybody does. So there's this idea that being religious or having a worldview, it's the most natural thing in the world. But guess what's not natural? Guess what's supernatural? Being born again. Being born from above. In fact, look at what he says in verse 24. He says, which things are symbolic? In other words, these two, these two characters, these historical characters, Ishmael being born from Hagar, the slave, Isaac being born from Sarah, the wife of Abraham, they, they're symbolic of something. What are they symbolic of? Verse 24. For these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. Like, what's that all about? Mount Sinai, if you remember, was the mountain where God gave the law of Moses. Okay? And so what he's saying is, this reality, this reality that Hagar, uh, just a, a natural woman who, who gave birth in a natural way, who, who was the, whose birth or giving birth was... was uh, uh, done as, as a work of the flesh. She is, is a representative of bondage and it corresponds with the bondage of trying to relate to God by the law or by Mount Sinai. That's what it represents. For he says in verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai or represents Mount Sinai in Arabia which corresponds to Jerusalem which now is. So he says not only does Hagar is, is, is sort of corresponds, represents Mount Sinai, where there's the law, it also corresponds to Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem now is. And that's how, when he says Jerusalem, he's referring to just this reality of all the Jewish people, people who, are in, who were naturally Jewish, people who were ethnically Jewish at that time. That they had, by and large, rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and that's what they correspond to. They're people who are still in the flesh. They're still only in the natural. They're people who are still trying to relate to God by religion. And he calls that bondage. But he says in verse 26, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, which is the mother of us, of us all. Now this is important. Paul's using a, a teaching technique that the rabbis used called Midrash. And he's basically taken an, a, a, a historical reality of you know, the whole story of, of, um, uh, of Sarah, and Ab- Sarah and Abraham and, and Ishmael and Isaac and, and all that happened there with Hagar, all that. He's taken a historical reality. And he's saying, okay, there's a, there's a deep spiritual truth about this. He's allegorizing this, okay? And he's also then taking what was a view of the Jews, which these guys would have been taught, these Gentile Galatians would have been taught by the Judaizers, and it was this view that there's a Jerusalem above, a dwelling place of God above, and that's the Jerusalem that we're concerned with. It doesn't mean that we're not concerned with the peace of Jerusalem, the physical place. I think it's still appropriate for us to pray for that. But it's this reality that, it's the reality that that there's a Jerusalem above that we need to be concerned with most. Now, the word above is really important because Jesus said, remember this, listen, Jesus said to the leaders of, to the leader of the Jews, to the teacher of Israel, Jesus called him, Nicodemus, Jesus said, you must be born from above. That's what he said to him. You must be born from above. It's not enough for you to be related 
to Abraham. It's not enough for you to keep the law of Moses. It's not enough for you to try to keep the commandments of God, to be circumcised, to be the best Jew you can be. That's not enough if you want to actually be in God's kingdom. You must be born from above. Guys, this is so crucial. It's crucial because there's a reality that we naturally want to try to appease our creator or know our creator or experience nirvana or become one with the universe, whatever kind of rubbish you want to say it is. We want to, by natural religion, be right with God. And what Paul's saying here echoes what Jesus said, you must be born from the Jerusalem above. God has to give life to you. God has to give the relationship to you. And as we saw earlier, guys, God is seeking that out. God's seeking that out. When he quotes Isaiah 54.1 here, Rejoice, O barren, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who is a husband. He's quoting Isaiah when Isaiah is talking about the Jews being in captivity with the Babylonians. With the Babylonians. And how the fact is they're going to be released soon. And when they're released soon, God's going to continue the work they've started in them. Guys, here's the reality. Paul is saying this. He's he's, he's giving what seems to us to be a complicated analogy, but to the Jews would have been very clear. That your religion is not going to be enough. You need the birth that comes from above. Theologians call it regeneration. You might have heard other people say you need to be born again. Coming to church is not going to guarantee you a relationship with God. Reading your Bible is not going to make you right with God. Praying is not going to give you a righteous standing before God. You must be born again through the gospel. God has to give you life. It's the gospel, it's good news because God wants to give you life. He wants to birth you into his family. Stay with me, I'm almost done. It's gonna get even a little bit more serious. It says in verse 28, now we brethren, as Isaac... You notice the word was in a new King James or King James is italicized. It means it's not supposed to be there. You can cross it out, actually. Now, we, brethren, as Isaac, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Paul's saying, guys, listen. You need to understand that we if we've received what Christ has done through us, if we've believed the gospel, we have been supernaturally born. As much as it was a miracle that God allowed Isaac to be conceived and birthed through his mom, Sarah, as much as that was a miracle, a greater miracle is the miracle of regeneration. That God's, and, and, and what, what Paul's saying, listen, don't you realize a miracle's been done? You are a child of promise because of the gospel if you've believed the gospel. We're supernaturally sons through the gospel. That's what he's saying. But he's also saying this, because that's the case, we're going to be persecuted because of the gospel. Now, religious people fight against each other, don't they? Religious people kill each other all the time. It happens all the time. It's not just Christians that get persecuted. Muslims you know, persecute Hindus. Hindus persecute uh, you know, those who are Sikhs. Sikhs persecute whoever. I mean, people persecute each other. 
The Baha'is say they don't ever persecute anybody, but, you know, it probably just remains to be seen. <laughs> All religions persecute each other. Paul's not saying that persecution is strictly for Christians. What he's saying is this. He's saying, don't think you're going to get out from underneath this because even those who say they follow Jesus, if they are just wanting to be religious, they're going to persecute you when you say, no, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved because of the gospel. I'm right with God because of the gospel. If you don't believe me, get around some religious people and just rejoice in your salvation and see how well they want to take that away from you. It's amazing. See, guys, the gospel frees us so that we can relate rightly with God, but it doesn't mean that our life's going to be easy. People are going to still mock us for it. They're going to still say that's ridiculous. Someone very close to Sarah and I said to us once, he said, you know what, you say that God forgives people no matter what their sin is. So yeah, he's willing. You said that Jesus died for everyone's sin. So a guy can rape and kill and murder and abuse children and then say, oh, I'm sorry, God, I was wrong. Forgive me. God will wash that all away and he'll be in heaven. If those kind of people are in heaven, I don't want to be there. That's what he said. And it just made him sick that we would talk about such a thing. One, the guy didn't understand the gospel at all. Two, he didn't understand the justice of God at all. And three, he didn't understand his own sin. Those are reality, guys. When we start talking about knowing that we are sinners saved by grace, grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, when we recognize that, guys, people go, oh, that's just wrong. It's just not right. Okay, it's gotta be bigger than Jesus. No, it's not. It's him. It's just him. And when we, when we make that stand, we're persecuted. Quickly, he also says this, and this is where it gets really heavy. He says, nevertheless, what does the scripture say? And he's quoting from Genesis where Sarah says this to Abraham and God confirms it later. He's, it says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. In other words, tell Hagar and Ishmael to be gone. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And God says, yeah, Abram, listen to him. Listen to her. That's, that's the reality. Now, when he says cast out, he means cast out. You see, guys, here's the deal. The gospel provides for us a relationship with our creator, a real, eternal relationship that cannot be added to, it cannot be taken away from, because that's how sufficient what Christ in the cross was. That's how great Jesus is. But you know what religion gives us? You know what religion brings to us? Rejection. Paul is actually saying this when he quotes this verse. He's basically saying the religious people are the woman, the, the, those of the bondwoman, they're, they're her son, they are to be cast out. Don't, don't deceive yourself, man. Don't think that you can, oh, I believe in Jesus, I just want to do this religious stuff because it makes me feel better. It's easier for me to just do my duty and to do my religious things instead of humbling myself before God. It's easy for me to do this instead of just simply believing in Christ alone. And so I'm gonna do these things. Don't think there's not a consequence for that. Because God despises religion. Guys, this is why God said to his people not to be harsh to them, not to belittle their effort at good works. It wasn't that. It was to get them to realize that their, their righteousness, the good things they do, 
are never the basis of their relationship with him. And so he said to them, your righteousnesses are as filthy rags to me. Your righteousnesses, those things you try to do to think, if I do these things, then I'm right with God. If I do these things, then God accepts me. If I do these things, then God owes me something. Those righteousnesses are like used menstrual rags. That's what that means. And he's saying, listen, religion destroys. Religion brings bondage. It's the gospel that sets us free. Don't you know, guys, that's what God wants for you? He wants you to be free. He wants you to be able to just j- jump right into his arms, to come right into his presence, to trust him for everything, even when life's going pear-shaped. Why? Because you know you have access to him, you have a relationship with him, you have position with him, you have sonship with him simply because of the gospel. Religion keeps you from that. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that's the day that Jesus judges us all, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I believe when Jesus has to say those words to people, he will do so with tears coming down his face. Because the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But I grieve to think that there would ever be anybody here who came to one of our gatherings that had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof, that could quote chapter and verse but didn't have a real relationship with God, was baptized but was not born from above. Guys, I just pray that you know him and you're known by him. I know he's pursuing you. I know he loves you. But I just pray that you're in that place. This is not me judging you. This is me just encouraging you. Be reconciled with God. Be right with God. You can be right with God because of the gospel. The gospel provides you to be right with God. Forget about religion. It's a waste of time. Call upon the name of the Lord and he'll save you.